Hi, this is Dr. Tom Rogers coming to you with a weekly podcast of what I call the Common Sense MD. Today I'm very excited because I have a special guest um, that's going to talk to us about and educate us on thermography, a, another way of looking at breast tissue, among other things, uh, but we'll focus more on breast tissue uh, in addition to the other modalities that we have used through the years, but it's been around a long time. And I want to introduce Dr. William, I call him Bill, but Amalu. And he's an expert in uh, thermography in every sense of the word. Um, uh, I was introduced to him by one of my PA's sisters who has been working with him for years. She lives in uh, New Hampshire. And um, so the good news is I'm probably going to be able to offer this in East Tennessee which is going to be another great part of our practice uh, that can really pick things up and an, another uh, adjunctive uh, way of imaging breast. Uh, so, doctor, introduce yourself, please. And I've, I've read a lot of your thing, and I'm very impressed. You've been on Good Morning America. I mean, you're kind of a well-known guy, way more than I am. So tell me a little bit about how you got into this and et cetera. Well, thanks for having me today. I got into this technology in 1990 when we first opened our practice and I was looking for something that we could add besides x-ray, looking at the human body, especially looking at their physiology. And so I enrolled in a postgraduate course and the initial introduction was about the history of this technology that started in 1959. And as the instructor was going through this, I was stunned. I just said, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Did, did you just say that this was first used for breast cancer screening? My sister at the time was battling breast cancer. And mammography, again, just the limitations of technology, couldn't see. And so it went undetected. And I was like, why haven't I heard about this? So of course we didn't have the internet at the time. I went to I went down to Lane Medical Library at Stanford and I combed the stacks. And when I was done, I just put my head in my hands. I couldn't believe it. So eventually, unfortunately, my sister passed away from this. But I know that if she had had access to this technology, it would have said, no, no, no. Would have likely have caught it long before. Because as her oncologist said, you know, typically, you know, you're, and your breast cancer is like this, it takes about eight to 10 years to get to the size of a dime. You've had this in your body for quite some time. And that's where thermography can get in and say, well, is there a warning? Yes, that's one of the main powers of the technology is that it's the earliest warning, your earliest signal, maybe the very first signal that warns you and your doctor that a cancerous process might be present. Tell me a little bit about, for our audience, exactly how it works, the cameras that image uh, not only the breast but other tissues as well. Tell me how, how this technology works. It's more of an infrared-type camera that detects mm -hmm. heat, as I understand it. Uh, correct. That's exactly what it is. However, the instrumentation that's used does have to meet certain standards and guidelines. So it has to be medical quality and for use on the human body. And there's a lot of standards and calibration and things of that nature we're not going to get into, but the camera is very sophisticated. And that's made it, of course, to 
processing software, not only for capture, but for post-image processing, and that's pretty sophisticated. So we're actually taking heat from the surface of the body. The camera is a sensor. Nothing comes out of it. There's no radiation. There's nothing toxic whatsoever. There's no intravenous access. And basically, the heat coming off your body is sensed by the sensors, it's translated into an electrical signal, and it displays on the screen. And that's what we have to actually analyze. And we look for areas of heat, but in the breast of sport, of course, we're really looking specifically at blood vessels. The, the neoangiogenesis process, the new blood vessels, the incorporation of blood vessels that the tumor needs to bring in nutrients and to flush out waste. So we compare one breast to another against the standard, but of course, if a woman only has one breast, we know how to read those just fine. And we grade the images just like you would see for mammograms, ultrasounds, MRIs of the breast. Uh, we don't use the BIRAD system. Uh, we use the TH system, the thermal, thermal biological system, and we grade the images one through five. Uh, what's interesting is we actually had this grading system way back in the early 80s. And if you read the um, American College of Radiology's BIRAD, um, it's, actually, it's actually as if they copied us. It's kind of interesting. So we do have some similarities on how we grade the breast based on suspicion. So I understand that it is very technical. The, the equipment's very expensive, and the environment has to be uh, just right as well. Like I think the room has to be a little bit cooler than mm -hmm. average, and yes. you can't have a lot of light interference with it. Uh, but I like the fact that, number one, it doesn't have any uh, radiation to it. No. And a lot of times that, you know, when I order mammograms that, it comes back uh, breasts are dense. And mm -hmm. from my understanding and reading, uh, thermography is not affected by dense breasts. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, augmentations, reductions, surgery, uh, residual scarring has no effect whatsoever on the images. And you're looking for symmet symmetry for one thing. If you mm -hmm. see an abnormality from a heat uh, source in one, that's a little bit worrisome because as we both know, cancer, uh, which is defined as abnormal cell proliferation, the, the angiogenesis you were talking about means that the cancer is bringing blood cells in there to feed mm -hmm. growth. Is that right? And you're picking up because it, it creates heat. Is that correct? Correct. That's exactly what we're looking for. So you're looking at uh, symmetry. You're looking at heat signals. And the good deal about this is the early warning signs. So the way, I, the way I'm taking this, again, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but we, don't, we like to use this as an adjunctive therapy in addition to others like we're never going to say you should not get a mammogram. We're always going to say this is another tool that we can use. Just like in medicine, we use many tools to try mm -hmm. to diagnose and screen. In my practice, I'm all into screening so that we can either find something early or if there's a signal that something's going wrong, to try to correct that before it gets out of hand. Exactly. Is that your, is that your feeling about this? Well, correct. Absolutely. It, uh, to start with what you were discussing, um, adjunctive 
um, addition to it. No breath screening technology is 100% sensitive. It's not going to see everything. That includes mammography. So mammography is adjunctive because I don't know any physician who's going to tell their patient, um, don't come in for your palpation of the breast. I'm not going to palpate your breast. Just go do this. No, they're always doing that. They're, and why? If mammography is perfect and, and is that sensitive, why are we still doing that? Because we all know as physicians that a certain amount of breast cancers are going to be caught on digital palpation and not seen for one reason or another on a mammogram. And it's just the limitations of technology. Now, thermography is more sensitive than mammography, but it's not 100%. And if it's not 100%, it shouldn't be used alone. We need to combine things. Whatever a patient's physician wants to add to thermography, that's up to them and their physician. I've always been a big believer in early detection, screening test. And, you know, to me, if you have another tool in your toolbox, you mm -hmm. want to use everything you can, especially when you're talking about a deadly disease like breast cancer. I mean, it seems to me that there, I'm seeing more breast cancers now than ever. Is that your experience? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, the mortality in breast cancer seems to be going down because there are better treatment methods. But the incidence of breast cancer is increasing, exactly. And what Especially you said, among, you, among younger folks, too, among younger women. And that's one of the strengths of thermography, um, you can do this at younger ages. There, again, there's nothing toxic about it. And women who are younger can, can use this technology uh, to screen. And one of the important parts about this, you talked about risk, you know, using something as a screen. Risk assessment is really important. Are you at risk? Well, we can use the conventional risk index. You know how we do that as physicians, and we'll look at a patient's history. We'll look at their, if their mother had the, the disease, et cetera. But this one gives a patient their own risk assessment based on their individual biology. So if we have an abnormal thermogram and it sustains abnormal, that woman has a 10 times higher risk of future breast cancer than a first order history of the disease. That gives women time. Now they can work with their physicians. They know that there's this risk for them they can work on in, and improving their breast health. It's an incredibly powerful tool. And there's one more thing that's very important. You brought up breast density. How does this happen? Again, it's usually an imbalance of hormones over time. And we know that from the literature that unbalanced hormones, which leaves a woman in an estrogen dominant state is the leading cause of breast cancer. No, lifetime exposure to that estrogen. This technology, because it's not looking at anatomy, it's looking at physiology, biology, it's very unique. We can actually see signs of estrogen dominance in the breast, or what we can also call a relative progesterone deficiency. Now, this is breast cancer. Uh, we, we're offering the ability to possibly ward off the disease. That's an incredible statistic <clears throat> that you mentioned about being so sensitive, uh, way more sensitive than a first degree uh, relative having breast cancer. Um, and I agree yeah. with that. A lot of times when, you know, I do a lot of work with hormones and it's very true that um, estrogen dominance um, is a major factor. And it also depends on what type of estrogen or how you 
metabolize sure. your estrogen. That's why we do Dutch test. That's why we check your estron, estradiol, estriol levels, mm -hmm. and which pathway it may be going down, the 2, 4, the 16. Um, it seems like estrogen metabolism is very important in your chances of developing breast cancer and how <clears throat> severe it's going to be. Now, progesterone is the great um, savior, if you, you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, as you know, the progesterone drops out pretty early. And so mm -hmm. a lot of women in there, I always look at sure. early uh, hormone levels in women because even, you know, when you hit menopause, that means your estrogen's really falling off. But you've been estrogen dominant for years because the first thing that drops off besides testosterone, the next closest thing is progesterone. So when that falls off, you're losing a lot of protection. And I've always argued this point with a lot of the gynecologists. You know, I was taught when I was first starting out 40 years ago that if a woman um, didn't have a uterus, if she'd had a hysterectomy, then there's no need for her to have progesterone. That's what they still teach, which is absolutely insane because progesterone has about 300 different functions. In mm -hmm. fact, it may be the most important female hormone. I tell people that all the time. As a matter of fact, I take a little bit of progesterone myself to prevent some of the aromatization of testosterone to estradiol, personally. So, And I also call, call progesterone like a woman's natural volume. It helps them sleep. Mm -hmm. It protects their breasts. It not only protects their uterus against too much estrogen, it, it protects everything. So... I always use progesterone first, and I look right. at it early. And if there's any question, I do a deeper dive with like a Dutch test, and I look at the pathways. Um, but there's a lot of misunderstanding about hormones themselves. Um, and when I say progesterone, I'm talking about natural progesterone, not medroxy progesterone. No, no. That was a culprit in the WHI right. study 15 right. years ago. Right. It was wrongly characterized as hormones cause breast cancer. I, I talk about this every day to my patients because women are scared of it. They get scared of it by sure. doctors and media that don't know about hormones, the truth about hormones. And they, they're going back to the days when they were using Primrin and Primpro. It's just a really mm -hmm. fascinating subject. It really denied a whole generation of women uh, life-saving or health-saving uh, benefits of bioidentical hormones, right. which are totally different than synthetic hormones. So, it, But it, you always have to look at that ratio of estrogen-progesterone. Right. They balance each other out. And the first one you want is progesterone. And trust me, not medroxyprogesterone. No. We never yeah. use synthetic hormones of that nature. But in any event, um, so dense breast. Um, so say we get a thermog thermogram. And there's, um, I think you grade them from like one to five. Is Correct. that the typical? Correct. And you get um, a four, or you had something a little suspicious. Tell me what your recommendations are. Again, um, it's going to be up to the, the own personal physician, mm -hmm. and you, you're giving information on what you're seeing on the thermogram. And thank Correct. God you are reading these. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when we do this, you're going to be reading our thermograms. And I'm confident in your opinion, but again, it's, it's going to be up to the doctor and patient as to what their next step will be. 
whether it be an ultrasound, a mammogram, an mm-hmm. MRI, which I find myself ordering more MRIs of, of breasts these days because, again, there's no radiation. The only problem I've had with that is that insurances are hesitant to pay. In my line of work, I don't care about insurance. I can find cash alternatives, usually with even MRIs. It's sure. not that expensive. So tell me if you get a – if you see something that looks um, – kind of, you know, like a four or definitely a five, what your recommendations is to the next steps to take? Well, yeah, the recommendations are going to be um, pretty straightforward. It's going to be, you know, let's get you back to your doctor and let's get some additional imaging. Let's go ahead and look now inside the breast. What might be doing this? That would be the first step. Okay. Um, I've always kind of liked the diagnostic ultrasound, um, especially with dense breasts. But isn't an ultrasound kind of looking at a small area? It's hard to it's hard to really. If you just took an ultrasound by itself, it's a really big area to look at. When ultrasound is best, when you already have an area that you're kind of worried about, is that right? Well. There are different types of ultrasound machines. There's whole breast ultrasound. So they're using a different type of of sound head. Then there's also the traditional sound head where they'll do the whole breast, moving all around, looking at every aspect. And there's up and coming technologies like QT ultrasound, which if you you look at this in the literature, um, some of their research is very impressive. It's almost MRI quality. And so that's a whole different way to use ultrasound. And hopefully that's more up and coming. I believe they have a a couple of offices that are out there, maybe three, four, five. But hopefully we'll see more of that too. But yes, the idea is to let's get some other imaging on top of this. Yes, so we're, we're again, using this as as one tool. Uh, We will never say all you need is a thermography. Um, We have other tools that we use as well. so say we have a, a woman that has, she scores a three, which mm-hmm. is pretty common from our understanding. Can so be. they've got some, they've got some inflammation there, but yet we send them for the workup and nothing, MRI, ultrasound, mammogram, whatever, it shows nothing. So we're going to follow that patient Correct. and hopefully make some other recommendations as mm-hmm. to what the cause may be. You know, in functional medicine, we're always looking for root causes. Right, exactly. And a lot of times what I find is inflammation is the root cause of most diseases. So we're looking at why is that person inflamed? What's their diet like? What's their gut microbiome look like? What are their stress levels? Mm-hmm. So recommend a – we recommend that – we look at all that stuff and just follow it. So say we have a, a, like a three or maybe a four and nothing's found. How often should we repeat that thermography? How often well, should we do that? Well, if this is a baseline patient, so we're talking about a baseline patient, they've come in for their first thermogram, they haven't had any follow-up, uh, they haven't had any recent imaging like mammogram, ultrasound, MRI. So now they've gone out has some other imaging. What we recommend in a TH3, and again, these are all research guidelines, they come back in six months. So we do one interval instead of going a whole year. Let's take a look again. Where, what are you doing? What's the breast doing? And, it, and if you're making any recommendations for treatment, then we're going to see if there's any change. And then if everything's the same, 
we're going to go ahead and do another six months, and that's a whole year of observation. And if that stays the same, we'll see you in a year. If it's a TH4 or 5, we're having you back in three months. And this is all based on tumor doubling time. So what we're going to be doing is getting a patient back in half a tumor doubling time so we don't wait too long. And when it comes to a TH3, we're getting them back in one tumor doubling time. Okay. And so there's a, there's a, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a method to the madness. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were talking about, um, you were talking again about estrogen, I want to kind of back up here, the, the progesterone. This is very, very important for um, your patients to understand. When we were doing this early on, we would have patients that the breasts were, you know, this is estrogen dominant slash progesterone deficiency. The research shows this. We can actually grade that. We don't do that anymore in the report because it confuses patients. We just use wording. So at so the patient comes back and you go ahead and, and again, as I was mentioning to you before, I practiced functional medicine through chiropractic for 30 years. So we run all the labs and everything comes back pretty darn normal and maybe even optimal for the patient or their estrogen levels are low. Why does the breast look like this? Well, we've got modern research now. So what they have found by taking core samples of the breast is that the breast itself can make up to 50 times the levels of estrogen that can be found in the blood, saliva, or urine, it's hiding from you. So, uh, so what's interesting here is you and I, we take care of the patient based on optimal function, but the breast's doing something by itself and the only technology that can see it is thermography. So now you can treat the breast directly on its own to work on this. That it's fascinating. Really really good way of putting that so the breast in a way are their own estrogen producing tissue yeah exactly i mean this yeah. yeah yeah we're looking we're looking at an acinar gland we're looking at a skin a primitive skin gland that's sitting on top of the thoracic cage and sometimes it has a mind of its own mm -hmm. interesting so what at what age do you think general screening of any of these modalities should begin especially now that we're seeing all these younger folks right. have breast cancer well, you know, again, we can look at all the risk factors the patient's under conventionally, but we usually recommend that they start at 20. And if everything's fine, every three years until they're 30, and then every year after that. Until 30 and every year. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Um, I think we've covered breast pretty good. Just quickly, tell me what other things that, that thermography is really useful for? Um, it's very, very good for pain conditions. Uh, you know, conditions that are either not responding to treatment or have another cause because you're actually looking for the cause. Where is this really coming from? And so with pain, we're able to map out things pretty well. And so, I mean, I, I don't know, again, your practice is different from mine, but you know, you have a lot of people, people are coming in, and the reason the patient's walking in is they're in some sort of discomfort. Yep. And so this is a huge area, helping patients get out of pain so they can regain their life. And I used it a great deal. I, I, I have a sports specialty, so I've worked with Olympic athletes, professional athletes, and, you know, looking at injury. So the patient, you know, it's this, this world-class athlete, or even, of course, the weekend warrior, you have someone who's injured and now they need to rehab. Is there residual inflammation? 
Is the treatment efficacious? And now we get to the point where we're going to put this million-dollar athlete back on the field. Are they play ready? Well, no, actually, the inflammation is still there. This person needs more care before they tear themselves apart. So it works very well there. Now, what we do have is a problem called the Internet. So now we have all these wonderful pictures showing how you're screening for internal disorders. I ask anyone. If they're telling you that, please go to, go to the office and have them hand you two peer-reviewed studies from reputable journals that have thousands and thousands and thousands of patient participants that says thermography is as good as a pap smear, a colonoscopy, a chest x-ray, blood tests. Prove it, because guess what? There is no literature. So using this technology as a screening tool for internal disorders is dangerous and should never be used. There are so many better tests. You know that from your practice, and I do too. Yeah. So it should never be used for that. That's very interesting. I do a lot of sports medicine as well, <clears throat> and uh, that'd be a great tool. You know, when whenever we're doing a like a deep joint uh, using ultrasound-guided uh, – PRP, for example, sure. um, it's always very useful. Um, you know, I've even, I, I, but I've heard the same thing. And, and again, for intra-abdominal stuff, I would never recommend thermography. Is that what you're saying as well? Absolutely. I mean, we, we just, uh, we don't even take abdominal views because of the confusion of patients. They are extremely confused. Even when you tell them you're not doing this. They don't, they don't understand because they're used to other technologies. You know, we're not looking inside the body. Now, mind you, are there neural reflexes, we call them viscerosomatic or viscerocutaneous reflexes that come from an organ that can display on the outside of the body a problem that might be with that organ? Yes, that, that can happen. Now, does that mean it's early detection? No. You have to have a certain amount of irritation to that organ. And then that's not early detection. There's been something wrong long before. And the signal can burn out. So I've got plenty of images. I've got tens of thousands of images over the years. And I have patients standing in front of me, in front of the camera. And they have stage four colon cancer. And it's normal. Okay, so, so we've got a lot of research that says, well, yeah, we might, 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 but you cannot tell a patient, oh, please come in for screening for all these things because you, that's life-threatening. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very important that that is stated. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, this is so encouraging, and it really gives us another tool that we can mm -hmm. really use on women. Um, and in prevention, and it's, it's outstanding. It's just, it's just amazing that what I've learned in the last few days, and I can't wait to get that technology into our offices, and I'm just pumped as I can be about it. And certainly the fact that you've come on here with me today and educated me, I certainly uh, recognize you as one of the world's foremost authorities on this. There's no question about that. Go look it up. I mean, if you ever look it up, his, his name is, your name's going to be in there. So I checked it out before <laughs> I actually made the call to see if you would agree to be on a podcast with me. But um, so 
this is enlightening. This is hopeful. This is another great tool that we have in medicine to uh, prevent th- bad things from happening uh, mm-hmm. to you. So, Dr. Beal, thank you so much for coming on here today. I hope to get you on maybe in another year or so after we've had this going. We can just sit and chat and sure. see how it's going, the kind of follow-up we're getting, the kind of patience we're getting, and... Um, and so on and so forth. It's just been so encouraging to talk to you, and uh, I thank you. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Guys, we'll see you next week on another edition of the Common Sense MD. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.